Welcome to the Growing Green Podcast, where we share the stories of entrepreneurs with an impact and their journeys to sustainable growth. My name is Toby. I'm joined by my co-host, Yulene. Hi, Toby. Yulene, so I often pick your brain about marketing and growth. I know that's a hard question to answer, but what are, for you, the most important skills that someone who's new to marketing should learn? Writing. I think copywriting. Mm, I like to hear that. Which I uh, am not so good at myself, but... <laughs> You should learn the basics. You should learn how to speak to your customers. I think that's very important because that puts you in the brain of the, or mm -hmm. actually in the mind of your customer, which yeah. is really important. Yeah. Any other things you think might be important? Data. Learning about data. Yes. True. More Knowing modern. your metrics. Yeah. I'm more like I, put, I published this LinkedIn video a couple of days ago where I was kind of saying that data marketers and non-data marketers, we all have to learn data. Yeah, I saw it. I loved it. Yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. So there's one other thing that I always, uh, what you just mentioned and that I always come across is people, understanding people, talking to people. Yes. And the science of talking to people that is psychology indeed so psychology is sometimes a bit of a black hole and there's a lot of shenanigans happening around this whole topic of, of psychology today we have someone on the podcast who is on the verge of cleaning up that mess and bringing psychology to the people and making it actionable for growth so today we have philip yoranov uh, who is a yeah psychological advisor or um, yeah something like that you could say for for growth for businesses with neurofied an amsterdam-based company that consults companies on implementing psychological tactics and strategies for their growth super super interesting and if you want to leverage psychology for your businesses you should definitely listen to the episode and without further ado let's uh, get the stage to philip So I'm sitting here with uh, Philip from Neurofeed. Hey, Philip. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. And um, um, we're at, at Science Park in Amsterdam, and you just told me that a couple of years back you used to dissect brains right across the street here. Mm -hmm. That's a funny and dark anecdote, but 100% <laughs> true, yes. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because we just met recently at an event where you gave a workshop about... What was the workshop about again? Because you could probably say it better than me. Yeah, so it was a workshop at the Dutch Sustainable Fashion Week. And my workshop was about positive behavioral change and innovation and the psychology that is needed mm -hmm. to achieve that. Yeah. So how we can change behavior through psychology. Yes. How we can manipulate people. Well, manipulate is not the word to use in like positive behavioral change. Mm -hmm. And is anyway like the, the, the easiest thing to remember about manipulation is that it might give you some short term gain, but in the long term, it's always going to gonna backfire. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not going to be good for you, and it's not going to be good for the people mm. who you manipulate. Before we get into that, let's uh, first like okay. So what do you do, and what does Neurofeed actually do? All right. So I am a cognitive neuropsychologist, which means that I, um, aside from studying conventional psychology, I also studied more the neuroscientific direction of psychology. So what kind of brain processes underlie these psychological phenomena? And what kind of like on the neurotransmitter level is going on in the brain that causes distinct behaviors mm. and what kind of cognitive processes are happening. So it's a bit more opening up that black box that is the brain. In my mm. case, literally opening up that black <laughs> box. That <laughs> or is dissecting the brain. it, yeah. And so my job these days at Neurofied is to, to translate scientific insights about predicting human behavior and influencing human behavior to uh, solid strategy and executions 
for companies and professionals to use to grow more efficiently and to perform at their best. So how do you do that? Do you do you train them? Do you, do you give workshops? I mean, you give workshops. That's how you give workshops. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is where Neurofight comes in the in the picture. So we're actually a, a team of psychologists mm -hmm. from all uh, all around the psychological playing field, and we we really dig into like the research of behavioral psychology, of cognitive psychology, and neuropsychology, neuroscience, and beyond that. And we try to make these insights that we gain from that as simple and practical as possible without losing much of its quality. And with practical, I mean that we, we translate it in such a way that companies can use it to uh, grow their teams, to invest in their teams, mm -hmm. so that their teams become more people-centric or brain-centric for that matter, mm -hmm. that they understand the people around them. Because ultimately, in our, in our opinion, business is about understanding people mm. and behavioral change is about understanding people. And so we give that in the format of training, of workshops, mm. of in-house trainings, open trainings. But we also do a lot of strategic consulting with clients in which we use constructs and frameworks from psychology, mental modeling and systems thinking and help organizations implement that into their strategy so that mm. they can perform better and perform more efficiently. Mm. So it's a lot about performance, and and when I heard the first time heard about Neurofeed or Neurofied, I, I was and I just told you that story. I was told by a friend, uh, yeah, I know this company that that does kind of combines growth hacking with brain science. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, what? How does that work? So, um, you just said it's about um, building teams, um, leadership, and I mean essentially growth, or let's say one step back, getting a customer is like triggering something in their brain that they want to use your product right but how does kind of growth really combine with neurosciences and kind of where does that interaction happen and like also how yeah let's like maybe first talk about how the interaction happens and maybe in the mm -hmm. second step we can talk about how you build that into a product yeah so from my point of view growth hacking is really and growth overall are really efficient strategies and ways to to expand your company and yourself as a professional by using cool new technologies and these, mm. these hacks as we call them and combine these into uh, like a culture of experimentation mm, for your company exactly, yeah. and by th in this way you can you can start working and validate along the way and see what works and doesn't work yeah. and so actually when you combine this with with neuropsychology and neuroscience it's uh, they're, they're quite similar from that point of view, because mm. in psychology, you also you you use theories, frameworks and hypotheses that are already validated by science, mm. like times after times after time. And you put these into an experiment of your own. So you mm. know that from from science, you know that people are really likely to behave in this way when you present them with this information at that time. And then when you run a small experiment within your organization or with your customers and you see mm. that this works, that means that this psychological concept that works really well in academia now also works for you. And you mm. can use it kind of as, a, as your own tool, as your own strategy. Mm. But the, like the pitfall that many people see already is that all these things from science, especially from soft sciences like psychology, are extremely context dependent. So when you when you google like cialdini's 10 principles of influence to win over all your customers and you mm. you read a couple of articles you come across some really interesting principles uh, that you can apply easily but 
what happens often is that companies and professionals see them backfire and they don't really know why. Okay, can you give an example? Yeah, well, if you look at, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call any names, but if you look at websites, for example, and you see like hundreds of buttons that say 24 hour deal, only 24 hours left and only three pieces left and four people are looking at this offer right now and, mm. and you see like a, a picture next to it of a person that is staring at the offer and pointing in its direction. Mm. Well, these are all um, re validated psychological tactics, mm. but when you use them without a strategy behind it, yeah. they're just tricks. And tricks can be really cool and work really well for you, but it's kind of tossing a coin. So mm. sometimes they, they backfire. Yeah. And you can see this in, in also in cultures of rapid experimentation that they experiment and sometimes they see that they apply a lot, tons of psychological principles, but it doesn't really turn out that well. Mm. And that's a lesson learned from an experiment. And from our point of view, that's mainly because you are not looking at the context. Mm. You're not looking at the strategy that's behind it and the principles that mm. back those strategies up. And yeah. then you're just applying tricks, which can be very dangerous. Mm. So how do we combine strategy with this this neurological like how like is, is it, do you kind of implement a neuro strategy into a business or how does the overall picture look, look yeah like? actually that is that is dangerously close <laughs> what yeah. you just said yeah the um, the central model that we constructed using uh tons of different psychological domains uh and that we use for ourselves within our own company and mm -hmm. also when we train or consult other companies yeah. is the brain-centric approach and this approach is you can you can look at it as a, a bit of a circular thing like in the middle of the circle you have the human brain mm. and human thoughts human decisions and the principles that are based on that and these are you can look at these as overall principles of human behavior mm. these are not random findings these are systematic patterns that has been, that have been spotted on in human behavior over mm. decades and decades of research but they're just principles so they don't have any direction yet so mm. that's when strategy comes into play you need mm. to turn these principles into a, a certain direction you need to use them to see that you reach a certain goal that you want to set for yourself mm. or your organization but then yeah then you have a direction but you don't really know what you're going to do yet you have these cool principles yeah. and yeah. you know that you want to go in that direction of a certain behavioral change mm. and then you need to select the tactics yeah so luckily there are hundreds of psychological tactics from motivation to influence that you can use, but you need to get the context right. So you need that strategy behind it mm. and you need those principles behind it that form the strategy. Okay. And then when you have your tactics, you can start applying them. You're, you're in the operational field now. And then you see that you are, you're completely aligned. So you're aligned with the people that you want to change their behavior, mm. that you want their behavior to you want them to become more productive, you want them to perform better as a team, or you want your customers to look at this new product mm -hmm. or read more of your blog or whatever. Yeah. And then you're, you're gonna map out for yourself, what is the psychological strategy of human behavior that I, need to, that I need to attain to get to that point? Then you apply the tactics that are, uh, that are coming along with these strategies. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then you, you see the results, you test, you experiment, and yeah, th this kind of sounds like a mouthful, of course, yeah. our methodology. That's why we, we internalized it. We made a system out of it and we, we made, we're trying to make a, a tool out of it that anyone can use. Mm. And we keep the sciencey stuff a little bit under the hood yeah. and we only open it for people that are interested in that because some people 
uh, are not very fascinated by psychology or mm -hmm. behavioral sciences, but just know that they work and want to see results. So yeah, I mean, if, if that's what you want, we can we can give you those results. And if you want to see what what's going on under the hood, you're most welcome to to join in yeah. to see the process. So let's go a bit under the hood, actually, because you said the first thing that you have is the basic psychological yeah. um, principles. Gustav, for example, like what I'm thinking of right away is the principle of reciprocity, for yes. example, yes. that we use a lot in trying to give, create free value for a potential mm -hmm. client. And then they see, OK, I want to give something back to I might be a client. Mm -hmm. Is that like a principle you'd be talking about or? Definitely, yeah. That that could be a principle because, uh, but it could also already be uh, a tactic that you can mm. deploy. Yeah. Because especially because of all the the research that uh, Cialdini has done on this yeah. uh, matter, and all the articles that you can find on the internet mm. about the principles of influence mm. that are uh, brought in such a way that you can immediately yeah. apply them within your own context. Yeah. So how would that then translate to a strategy? Let's say we are a Online shop for furniture. Yes. For example. So we say, okay, reciprocity is a principle that we see mm -hmm. working well. Well, that, I mean, reciprocity is a principle we want to tap into. We're an online shop for furniture, premium furniture. Um, and how would that then translate into a strategy? Like, just for example. Yeah. So the first thing that you always want to ask yourself is who is my target audience? Who is mm -hmm. the receiver of this message? Yes. Who is the person that I'm going to try? changing their behavior as like a persona mm -hmm. you want to kind of construct this persona as good as possible mm -hmm. and what you see is that most companies and people and organizations they they rely on demographic factors for this mm -hmm. which can give you a bit of an impression but mm -hmm. it kind of stops at like you know 35 year old dude playing golf mm -hmm. at the weekends yeah and there are tons of psychographics available for this mm -hmm. uh both personalized psychographics as general psychographics mm. like these universal principles of the human brain yeah but they're not really used as much because they're kind of more difficult to touch upon because mm. they require a bit of domain knowledge in psychology mm. so we uh, the first step is that we, we we combine these two things demographics and psychographics to construct a profile of who it is we're dealing with mm. because that, again like doing business is all about understanding the people that you're dealing mm. with so to come back to the context, we're uh, we're a home furnishing marketing association or something. No, it's an online furniture shop, yeah. for example. Right. So we want to sell something, and we read about this article uh, uh, that says that reciprocity works really well. Mm. Well, then if you, you you have your target audience, you mm. kind of have constructed for yourself uh, who it is that you're dealing with. Then the next thing you want to ask is does this person want something from me in the first place mm -hmm. because tons of times people think yeah reciprocity let's send them some stuff mm -hmm. but that nine out of ten times the reaction is going to be don't send me anything i didn't ask for yeah so from a st strategic viewpoint there have to there have to be a couple of steps before that mm -hmm. some steps of engagement with the customer and to make them a bit more interested in what mm -hmm. you what you want to sell them or what you want to tell them and then when you see that you have their attention, so that would be step one, grabbing their attention mm. in a positive way, which is quite a task in the like the attention economy that yes, we live yes. in. And then uh, the next strategical step would be to see, do they want something from me? Mm. And when they do, then you have like a green light for implementing reciprocity and you send them something like a, if it's a, if it's a cheat sheet or a white paper or a blog post mm. or but yeah, if you send, if you just randomly sent them to mm. somebody and they didn't ask for it, then chances are high that they're gonna yeah. be like, "What the fuck? Yeah. What do you want? What do you want? Yeah. What do you want me to do yeah. with this?" 
But if the conditions are right, so if the context is right, then it's a really strategic, strategically, it's a good move to deploy reciprocity. Mm. That would be your tactic, using the principle of reciprocity in this context. Mm. But yeah, that, that is kind of the, like the nuances within are mm. are defining the outcome yes and it's it's like that with all of the psychological principles mm. that you can implement or deploy what are other principles that you commonly use in, in your I'm, I'm a psychology noob so um you, what, are, what are other basic principles you you refer to yeah so the the cialdini principles that are the most famous ones they're they're kind of being used throughout and also intuitively by humans mm. uh But we, uh, yeah, we, we really recommend like reading about them, getting into them and mm. uh, experimenting with them for yourself. But you also need to realize that this is derived from a book that was written in the 80s. Mm. And a lot has happened since then. Yeah. So there's yeah. tons of new stuff. And for us to like, get straight to the point, the things that we work most with are cognitive biases and nudges. Mm. And they're both uh, derived from... Two different Nobel Prize winners. Like the first one is Danny Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm. That's the book that that sits on your nightstand for two years before you finished it because mm. it's a bit of a tough read, but it's full of amazing insights. And uh, the main theme about that is that humans uh, have these things in their brain, these processes called mm. cognitive biases. What they are actually are mental shortcuts that mm. we use. So we humans have tons of information to process every second of every day mm -hmm. and our brain is capable of doing that uh, somewhat like it's capable of keeping up but not really well mm -hmm. so it needs to protect itself and its owner to get by in a day and it does this by making these mental shortcuts mm -hmm. based on experience and intuition and emotion And like for, for things um, that are related to surviving and reproducing and making breakfast, the, these mental shortcuts work great mm. because you don't really have to pay conscious effort and energy and your brain is kind of, you know, taking over freewheeling and yeah. so far so good. But when you face a more complex decision, especially when it's related to business or finance or uh, interpersonal relationships, mm. then these mental shortcuts can really really means something bad. They can really mess up a relationship, they can mess up chances. And this is when we're speaking of cognitive biases. Mm -hmm. So a mental yeah. shortcut that turned out to be not very beneficial for you. These mental shortcuts, these biases, they are so universal and they occur so much in human behavior that mm -hmm. we can identify over 200 of them. We've wow. given all 200 of them specific names. And at Neurophytes, we are, uh, busy bees um, getting these cognitive biases and making them applicable in each context oh. because again you're we are dealing with some high abstraction level principles mm -hmm. from the science of psychology and you want to take them as much along the way as you can to make them as applicable and as simple as possible in each context yeah. without making them backfire wow yeah and yeah we can get into some some cool examples about cognitive yeah. biases but first i also want to uh like the other behavior influencing mm. and motivating tactic that we use is um a paradigm called nudging mm -hmm. which is uh, uh based on solely based on well not solely 
but there are two people that are like the stars of nudging <laughs> the stars of nudging. yeah dick taylor and, and cass sunstein yeah. uh, they, they're really cool uh researchers they also won a nobel prize with this mm. nudging is um, a strategy of influencing behavior by subtly changing context so okay. by by presenting people with the right information at the right time you can nudge their behavior in the desired direction mm -hmm. and nudging is also uh, one of the most used tactics in sustainability and environment to make people make more conscious choices about the planet that they live in so okay. that might be a good bridge to talk about that later yeah and so these two things they're well they're based on the on the same thing mm -hmm. the, the same principle and that is that the human brain uh you know did some funky things during evolution mm -hmm. and now is really good at um shortcuts and reproducing and making breakfast and brushing teeth and it can do this almost automatically mm -hmm. but when it comes to more complex decisions uh like these mental shortcuts ca cause errors and the uh, big problem is that we're not really aware of that. We think that we're, we got it all under control and yes. that we're yeah. rational, analytic mm -hmm. people. Data-driven. Yeah, yeah. data-driven. But like the past four decades of research have indicated the opposite, like mm -hmm. the complete opposite. Wow. And that's kind of the main frame that we're operating on. So these are the two basic principles, is nudging and, and biases. And then, yeah, of course, nothing is independent. Like mm. Some nudges are biases, some biases are nudges, mm. some biases are strengthened by nudges, some nudges mm. are strengthened by biases, yeah. some cancel each other out. Yeah. But these are the two, uh, the two associative hooks that we want, mm. to, uh, we want to give people that want to peek under the hood of what we're doing. Yeah. Wow. So when I think about cognitive biases, the first thing I think about is someone looking at a certain sheet of data and kind of making up their conclusions from it. But... What are um, a couple of examples that, that you stumble upon where cognitive bias really harms businesses and harms growth? So the, the first thing that I, that I think about also because we, we just discussed like rapid experimentation and mm. culture of experimentation and uh, there is this specific bias. It's called the, the pro-innovation bias. Mm. And what it means is that our brains are kind of hardwired to view things that are innovative as things that are good. Mm. Like, and yeah, like the the image that you can that you can like kind of visualize here is uh, people are sitting at a, like a meeting table mm. and um, like the the CEO is holding up something new and shiny mm. and everyone is completely mesmerized by that and cannot for the life of them think how this can like be something that could actually harm their business or could yeah. slow them down because mm. it's new, it's innovative. And new is always better. Yes, that is a, actually a really good recap of the pro-innovation bias. Yeah. And this this bias is like, with cognitive biases, the thing is that it's not like each of them has like a, a seat reserved for them in the brain, some mm -hmm. real estate yeah. in the brain. It's, <coughs> they're all correlated with each other and they're all, they're all affecting each other. Mm -hmm. But pro-innovation bias is something that like immediately pops into my head. And then also when, uh, when, you, when you're talking about people that call themselves data-driven, mm. then look at the spreadsheets and then come up with their own explanation of mm. why things look like that. Like there are lots of biases here, like the, the confirmation bias, mm. which is again, our brains being hardwired to selectively filter out information that does not conform to our beliefs. Mm. So we just see what we want to see. We see what, what confirms our beliefs. This bias is also being exploited by like the social media. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, let's get into that another time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So confirmation <clears throat> bias. Uh, there is a, a zero risk bias also, uh, which is kind of closely connected to the pro innovation bias. And zero risk means that people are so uh, anxious to take risk, like the the, the hardwired part of their brains, that they sometimes uh, try to avoid risk in such a way that the option that they end up taking is something that causes them more risk in the long term mm -hmm. than all the other options yes, combined. Absolutely. But you only see what you see in this, um, like a, a good, a good visualization of this, uh, this weird part of your brain making all these shortcuts mm -hmm. is that um, there are actually two ways of thinking and deciding in the brain. Yeah. <coughs> uh, one is actually uh, analytic and rational because you know we are capable of uh, occasional rationality mm -hmm. sometimes we do things that are like really thought out well and analytically sometimes. substantiated <laughs> but most of the times we're more like like homer simpson this is the part of the brain that is completely irrational and acts on emotion intuitions and instinct and the thing is that this is the part of the brain that is in control for 95% of the decisions that we wow. make that's what the neuroscientific research uh, showed us in the last three decades, which is a bit, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit hard of a pill to swallow, also. But it is, yeah, it is true. And when you when you see when you're aware of these biases, mm -hmm. like another problem arises because we're working with these biases all day, and now we are seeing them in our own behavior and the behavior of the people around us all the time. Mm -hmm. And where we've become kind of like the, the the man's the man with the hammer. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and you want yeah. to solve all the biases yeah. that you can see. Yeah, that can drive you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. And so these are a couple of the biases that we that we work with, and I see them, them all the time. And I think they can apply to many different cases um, mm -hmm. in corporates where you have a marketing department uh, yes. suggesting certain strategies and, and and really filtering out the wrong mm -hmm. ones. Um, and before we talk about how we can overcome these issues, um, let's talk about the second one you just mentioned, which was nudging. Yeah, I think nudging is a is a is a phenomenon that that many people are not familiar with, me included. Um, and you just also mentioned that nudging is, is something to do with sustainability and sustainable behavior in people. Mm -hmm. So, um, walk us a bit more into like what nudging actually means, what the principle of nudging actually yes. means in psychology, and how we can apply that to sustainability and innovation. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the. The definition of nudging, as it's mentioned by uh, by the people who coined the term, is um, subtle changes in context that allow you to subtly guide behavior one or the other way. Mm -hmm. And what they mean with that, to come back with what I what I said earlier about the ninety five percent of the time being Homer Simpson, mm -hmm. that's the, the state that we're in. Uh, nudging is uh, like a paradigm that completely embraced the fact that we are irrational for 95% of the decisions that we make mm. and is focusing on that part of the, the behavior and the decisions. So that means that it is a subconscious way of influencing behavior. And actually the first nudge for the, the Dutch people that are listening and also for the non-Dutchies they would understand was uh, implemented at Schiphol Airport. And what they did was um, they pasted they, uh, they pasted a sticker uh, in the shape of a fly at the man's urinal, mm -hmm. and so this is a subtle change in context, mm -hmm. like the the best definition of it, like it, just this, like a little sticker. 
But the, the outcome of that, like the change, the behavioral change that it induced was huge because they saved up, I don't know, I, I, can't, I can't even name a number, but the, an incredible amount of cleaning costs because apparently now people are able to aim when they go to the toilet. <laughs> and this entire process is not like something that people were rationally or analytically mm-hmm. uh, considering for themselves when they were standing over the men's urinal. Mm-hmm. It was completely on the, the automatic pilot, the, the Homer Simpson part of the brain, mm. the, the irrational, emotional, instinctive part. They just saw a fly and they were like, oh, well, like, let's aim. Mm-hmm. And then the, the influence of nudging of these small, subtle changes mm-hmm. in context became uh, something very popular because of the effects that they have. Wow. And then you can, so you can, yeah, you can use them in tons of ways in environmental and sustainable contexts. And to just give an idea, uh, one of them is uh, the default effect, Mm -hmm. which is also a cognitive bias, by the way. So it's a cognitive bias that is used as a nudge in Mm -hmm. this context. And what the default effect does is um, by changing the pre-selected option in a a choice that someone Mm -hmm. has, uh, you increase the likelihood of that option being taken by like orders of magnitude. And to yeah, to to give an, a bit of a picture of the effect of this, uh, this actually came from a study that was done on organ donation. Uh, it was some years back, so I'm not sure if the the numbers still hold up. But so in countries like the Netherlands and uh, this, I think the states as well. Uh, organ donations were pretty low, mm-hmm. like around five or six or seven percent. While countries like Portugal and Belgium, they were somewhere around ninety-seven percent. Mm-hmm. So it's there was like a ninety percent difference in some cases. And then people started thinking, wait, are the are the Belgians that much better than we are, or are the, are the people from Portugal suddenly saints? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, yeah, this wasn't the case. The, the only thing that happened was that at some moment, the, the government of Portugal and the government of Belgium decided to uh, change the choice architecture of organ donation. So what they did was they notified people not that, hey, do you want to donate your organs? Check this box. But hey, if you don't want to donate your organs, check this box. Mm-hmm. So again, a really subtle change in context changed their organ donation over 90%. Like, that's insane. That's like a statistician's wet dream. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And so this same concept, like picking the sustainable option can also be used in that sustainable and environmental context. Mm. If you give people uh, a choice, but you design the choice architecture in such a way that the default, like the pre-selected option, is a more sustainable Mm. one, then the Homer Simpsons in our brain will pick that one because mm-hmm. a, a principle of the brain is that the brain always picks the, the part of the path of least resistance mm-hmm. in that case. Wow. And it sounds completely illogical and irrational because it is. It is not the part of our brain that is capable of mm-hmm. rationality and yes. analytical decision making. It's the part of our brain that is run by emotions and instinct mm. and intuitions. Oh, yeah, that's a great story. Uh, my my colleague Renz that we had on uh, a couple of uh, episodes ago um, just launched a project based on that actually, where he has a, a, a burger joint, a virtual burger joint, where everything is by default vegan. And if you want to then add meat to the products, you have to consciously add meat to mm-hmm. the burgers, which is exactly that kind yes. of uh, phenomenon. 
And do you have a couple of examples of, of businesses that maybe you worked with or other, because now we talked about public projects, sustainability projects um, that implemented those kinds of behavior, behavioral changes. Do you have a couple of examples of businesses using that for growth? That's the context we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, we helped a couple of businesses that were, uh, that were in tech and they, uh, they offered uh, software as a service products. Mm -hmm. And the thing with this is that you have like you have in, in the choice that you give your, your customers, you have uh, option A, B, C and D. Mm -hmm. And they, they're, they're different, but the differences lie in like technical aspects. Mm -hmm. And the, the more innovative and techy a company is, the more abstract these differences seem to people that are not in tech. So for example, different features in the software package. Yeah. Or, yeah. And the reason that I'm not giving any details is because I, I wouldn't know. I'm not very techy myself. Yeah. But there is a nudging strategy. Uh, it's called understand mappings. Really weird name. Mm -hmm. But um, what, it, what it actually uh, implies is that when you have constructs that are abstract for people, mm -hmm. You need to map them onto constructs that are understandable for people in order to give them a clear view of the choice that they mm -hmm. want to make because otherwise their their brain especially their their uh, their cognitive energy so the mm -hmm. energy that we use to make a decision is completely drained by seeing all kinds of technical mm -hmm. specs that they have never heard before and they end up not making a decision at all mm -hmm. and then you lose customers so if you map on these abstract technical differences of your uh, options in your in your software that you're that you want to sell if you map on them things like basic um turbo mm -hmm. enterprise like th concepts that people can uh, can relate to like for yeah, i think the, the most basic one is uh, basic pro turbo that's mm -hmm. one that i saw yesterday it doesn't really make any sense of course because you know you're you're a professional anyway. It's not the, you're, that you're only pro when you pick the middle one. And the last one doesn't have anything to do with speed, uh, as in like turbo cars, mm. the weird associations that might come with it do, don't yeah. really matter. What matters is these are terms that people kind of understand mm. and can relate to each other. And although it's again, something completely illogical yeah. and irrational, but it gives this, the Homer Simpson in our brains, mm. a bit of a, peace of mind at that moment mm -hmm. and ability to make the decision easily yes yes wow. and this, this is like a, yeah to just say like a specific nudging strategy mm. that we help people with yeah so the the question that kind of resonates in my head the entire time is that so i work a lot with storytelling so mm -hmm. trying to um make a proposal or make a proposition clearer by telling a story that yes. means instead of telling them hey we have this great product buy it mm -hmm. now telling a story in which the customer is the hero of the story and we're trying to be positioned as the guide and giving them a plan and this is something that's based in in, in drama theory a lot this is something that's based in story theory a lot but i can't i can't help but kind of hear those um the same principles applied in what you're just saying by by talking about these little strategies yeah so how does story uh, re resonate with psychology is something you also come across in your research definitely yeah so actually it plays an even bigger role than everybody already thought yeah. because um, every everyone has seen that stories have a, like a peculiar effect on people. Mm. They do something that seems almost magical. Yes. And when things seem magical, it's usually psychology. As I said before, like when you revert back to like these basic brain principles, mm. uh, the first the first principle that I mentioned was that we have to take in like, tons and tons of information every mm. day through all of our senses. 
and uh, we we can't really keep up with everything. So our brain kinds of filters what's important for us and what is not important. Mm -hmm. But then you have all these bits and pieces of filtered information from mm -hmm. different senses that are like swarming around your brain. But people don't think in bits and pieces. People think in stories. Mm. So at that moment, your brain is going to make a story out of these bits and pieces. And unfortunately, 95% of the time, it's the Homer Simpson part of your brain that is constructing these stories, mm. which makes people very vulnerable uh, to interpret facts, bits and pieces in a really weird way, which make them draw conclusions that can harm themselves, mm. harm the people around them and harm their business for sure. So in storytelling, we do not allow the Homer Simpson part to construct that story. We construct that story for mm. them. And the storytellers know what they're doing. They know what story they want to tell and they give that story to the brain so that the brain doesn't have to construct a story itself. Mm. And you know, sometimes that's for worse, but most of the times that's for the better. Wow. So what, did, what advice would you give a company that says, okay, we want to implement more uh, neuroscience into our growth strategy? Because what I kind of feel like is happening right now is that growth and the term of growth marketing, uh, growth hacking, uh, yeah, management by growth um, is becoming a more mature field. We have more, we see more and more companies um, naming a head of growth. Um, mm -hmm. So this kind of yes. growth field seems to be more maturing now. And now they're there's more nuance coming to it. I'm putting more brand into growth. You're mm -hmm. putting more neuroscience into growth. Like, what you, would you recommend to a company that already kind of embraced the growth strategy um, that wants to start with implementing more neuroscience into their work? Yeah, yeah. The, the short answer to that is um, know that there is an insane amount of knowledge available for free mm. that you can read on the internet just by typing in terms like... Um, psychology in marketing or influencing behavior or nudging consumer behavior mm. cognitive biases in and uh, by doing that you can already you can already get take a huge step in implementing psychology yeah. you would think that's already happened in most marketing departments yeah definitely but then there is a there's a bit of a, a gap between being aware of this knowledge mm and being able to implement it correctly. Mm. And then I, I'll revert back to the brain-centric approach that we, uh, mm. we constructed. Yes. We, the, the, the reason why we constructed this approach is to make sure that it doesn't backfire, to make sure that people don't go on the internet and read about reciprocity and then send thousands mm. of people white papers they didn't ask for. Yes. Yeah. So that is where ex experimentation is, uh, is key. Like, test everything. Don't go after your uh, gut feeling, your intuitions, your Homer Simpson all the time. But then the, the, the thing that is kind of blocking that culture of experimentation is that not everyone is aware of its added value. Mm. And that is true for growth. And that's also true for behavioral psychology and neuroscience. Mm. And when I mean, when when now that we're having this conversation and we both know uh, the value that someone that is specialized in growth can bring to a company mm. and we both know the value that someone who is specialized in behavioral psychology and neuroscience can bring to a company. Mm. But um, most people, well, I'm, I'm not sure if it's most people, but lots of people are not. They're not uh, they, they don't know about True. this. Yeah. And unless you are a, a booking.com or an Amazon that have a culture of experimentation mm -hmm. rooted into its very core, you have to kind of 
gently and easily introduce this culture to your company mm. because you need to get everyone on the same page otherwise there's going to be no buy-in there's going to be an extremely skeptical manager that is mm -hmm. gonna yell at you because uh, the growth is not giving us any ROI yet and neuroscience is not giving us any ROI yet. Mm -hmm. You need to get everyone on the same page and speak a, a shared vocabulary yes. on these topics. Yeah. And I think that that is uh, both a matter of proactively introducing this in a gentle fashion, but also a matter of time mm -hmm. because it's gonna happen. You, you see that it, both growth hacking and behavioral psychology and neuroscience are on a rise mm -hmm. in, uh, in, and they take different shapes from, you know, from growth hacking to behavioral economics, to neuromarketing, to brain and behavior. Mm -hmm. And you can see that they're uh, growing exponentially mm -hmm. in professional cultures. So it's, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. So be prepared. That's what I would say. Brace yourselves. Yeah. yeah brace yourselves, but also like be, Prepare yourselves literally, read about it. There's tons of knowledge that mm. is available for free, tons of cool books. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would suggest anyone to get into it. Yeah. Because otherwise just, you're yeah. gonna feel like, you know, that that dissociated old grandpa that looks at an iPhone and is completely confused and doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. It's really just staying ahead of the game and staying uh, playing with the game. Yes. Um, Philip, if people want to reach can get in touch with you and learn more about it, um, where can they reach you? Uh, you can reach me on LinkedIn, definitely. You can add me there. It's, my name is Philip Jordanov. We'll, we'll probably put some show notes in there. Yeah, uh, exactly. you can, uh, and otherwise, if you, if you want to learn more about what we do and at Neurofight and our company and how we can help you, mm -hmm. you can go to www.neurofight.com. And that is fight as in F-I-E-D. Mm -hmm. So we're not fighting anyone. Yeah. Tend to get confused. It's a spin-off company at some point. And otherwise, uh, if you live in Amsterdam or around Amsterdam, I am speaking a lot at different venues, different events. And uh, if you see my name somewhere and you would like to hear more about this, then come by and let's have a chat. Let's have a beer. And that would be it, I think. Awesome. So last two questions that I have. Um, who is a person that inspires you, dead or alive? All right. Yeah. So this is always an extremely difficult question to answer because there are tons of people. Um, but if I if I were to name someone from the top of my mind right now, as uh, it's Robert Sapolsky. He's a, a neurobiologist and a neuroscientist and a biologist, I think. Uh, and he's also the author of the book Behave. And now this is probably the book that I would recommend most to read mm -hmm. about any of these topics especially because it conveys all the essential information that you need to know about human behavior and how it's shaped and how it can be predicted and what it has done so far and mm -hmm. what its potential is um, and it's doing this in a very pleasant and simple manner without losing any of its scientific value mm -hmm. So yeah, Robert Sapolsky, definitely. Nice. That was actually the second question already because uh, my second question is, is there a book you can recommend? But um, you already recommend Behave. Behave, uh, yes. Is there any other book you would like to recommend now that you have the, ch the chance to do it? Maybe some personal favorites? Yes, actually there is. Um, it's going to be another another personal pick. Uh, I can also... Well, probably I, 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 I can... Uh, I'm gonna give two more books. Like one that that has most people struggle with giving one book, <laughs> and you can. Uh, 
I'll give one book that has like tons of practical advice that you can use. Uh, and it's going to be Nudge by uh, Cass Sunstein and uh, Richard Taylor, which is what we talked about, about the nudging. Wow. Uh, and then personally, I would like to recommend another book that I've been, uh, I just picked it up from the store. It's called River of Consciousness by Oliver Sacks. Mm. And he is just one of the most sophisticated, cool, funny writers out there. Nice. He's a neurosurgeon. Uh, he was a neurosurgeon. And his books are like a, an addition to anyone's life, mm. I would say. Wow. Awesome. That's a lot of good tips. Philip, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was real fun. Yeah. And uh, talk soon. Cool. Talk soon. That was my conversation with Philip Yorlanov from Neurofight. Wow, I'm blown away. Yolene, what did you think? Of course, I think every marketeer has that drawn to how can I make customers behave in the way that I want, mm -hmm. want to behave them. I think that most stood out, or not most, the thing that I found really interesting was you can do all these tricks online, as he calls them, mm -hmm. but you need to have a strategy. Yeah. Otherwise it's not sustainable and you will not grow long term. They will just be tricks. Yeah. I really love that he was talking about in order for these tactics to work, mm. you need to have context yeah. and strategy. Uh, what I really liked about it was that for the first time, I now have kind of a vast understanding of what is out there in terms of psychology. Before it was mm. like, okay, yes, this and that and that. But that actually, there's actually a list of things you can check, almost like a checklist. And for me, this gives just a lot of orientation so that I can now go and implement all these things or just talk to Neurofy to help me implement those things and get a proper strategy in place. I hope you liked the conversation as much as we did and see you next time.